listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. All right, Jeff. So last time we talked, we spent a lot of time talking about how to identify young Turks, how to identify high potential talent within your firm. And the commitment we made to each other was next time we get together was let's talk about how you manage them. So it's one thing to know who they are. It's another thing to figure out how you're going to manage them and, and, and reward them and, and make sure that their success drives the firm forward and drives their careers forward. So I propose we do that. You game? I'm game. All right, let's jump in. What, what are the things we need to think about when it comes to managing these individuals that, that sort of have this different way of looking at things and, and maybe this energy and, and, and bring you know, all kinds of upside potential to the firm today and tomorrow? What are, what are some of the things we need to be thinking about in terms of managing? I'm going to take a step back. Okay. 30 seconds. Make sure that we're kind of on the same page and, and summarize what I think the, the attributes of a Young Turk hypo is. Yeah, I don't want to do that. I want to move forward. So I'm seizing go. Because <laughs> no, I think this is important to how you actually manage no, them. I totally so, agree. Totally agree. So number one, they're business minded people. They think like business people. They don't think like marketers or accountants or architects. They think like business minded people. I will begrudgingly admit that attribute. I'm not entirely sure that's always, you say, geez, in the world of technology, some of the greatest visionaries and the people that had the greatest impact on on some of the most successful companies we know today didn't necessarily come at it with a business framework. They just sort of had this product vision or an idea, right? So I, I don't know. I don't know if I totally agree with that, but I'll, but I'll take it at its face value. Business-minded in that our work here is to satisfy a client need and that we keep the client focused. And we do that from a business perspective, that we don't get caught up in our own work for our own work's sake, that there is a reason we're doing the work. That's what I mean by business-minded. Okay. They're insatiably curious. They want to learn. They want to grow. Like my IT woman, for example, always wanting to grow as people. They are tenacious problem solvers. They don't take no for an answer. You give them a task. They keep digging and digging and digging and digging until they get it, get to an answer. They are risk takers. As I said before, they're willing to raise their hand. They're willing to break some eggs, you know, stick their head up out of a hole and ask the tough question. They are. I, I, let me, before you move on to that, though, I want to add on. I don't agree that they have to raise their hand. I would say they're risk takers because again, I'll go back to that same comment. They can be introverted. They, you know, some of your most talented people may not be the ones that raise their hand, but to your point, when, when asked or when invited to raise their hand, they may blow you away and and they'll seize that, that moment, which would be risky. Right. So Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to, I, again, I, I, I'm a bit of an introvert, as you know. So that's why I keep raising this flag because, you know, there are people that are not going to just raise their hand. They're going to wait to be invited. And when they're invited, they're going to just completely blow up every preconception that you had. And, and we don't want to dismiss those folks because they are critical to the future success of most firms. So, but keep, but, but I agree with the, the, the concept. So keep going. And then fifth was analytical. Yes. Uh, that's a narrow definition of risk. 
just speaking up. I'm, my risk taking is much broader than that. They are. I was responding to the, the way you described it. I mean, you literally said the risk taker is they raise their hand. And, I, and I'm saying, you know, they don't have to raise their hand. Right. That's all I'm saying is I, I totally agree with your broad definition of risk. I was just disagreeing with the, the sort of the clarity you wrapped around it. That's all. OK. They're analytically creative. And this is something you can relate to. You know, it's it's creativity, but it's back with data. Right. They mm. think holistically. They're brash. You know, they're willing to fight for an idea, challenge the status quo. You know, that's the definition of a, a young Turk. They are collaborative. And again, this gets back to what I said earlier. Somebody who's just climbing for their own sake does not fit my definition of a hypo. And finally, they're performance driven. You know, they want to hit a result. They pursue excellence. They want mastery. They're just always trying to improve, you know, their lap speeds or distances or whatever metaphor you want to use. So that's the combination of attributes I see in Young Turks and in hypos. Okay. So in terms of how to manage them, the most important thing in my mind with a hypo to unleash their the potential is to raise the expectations that you have for them and create, if you will, self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, and I think this is how you can take somebody who's maybe medium potential and move them into a high potential. And I've seen this in that first example of coming in, you know, and having executive assistants who think all they can do is event management or something along those lines and saying, no, 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 I believe there's much more to you than that. So you have to change the expectations and create an environment that allows a self-fulfilling prophecy to occur. So the expectations I set for all of my teams, and I believe the hypos raise their hand metaphorically here by responding <laughs> to these expectations. Low potential people get scared by this and, and leave. So the first one is, you know, you're a business person. You think like a business person. If you're not thinking like a business person, start thinking like a business person, not some kind of communicator or designer. Two, I tell my teams that they should be having executive recruiters calling them at work. And I tell them this and they always get a like, what? Look from them. But that if recruiters aren't calling you, that means you do not have the skills in demand in the marketplace or your work is not visible. Either way, we have a problem. And if other firms don't want you, why would I want you on my team? And this sets a very strong expectation that feeds into that self-learning and growing that people want. But it gives them something, a, a tangible return in addition to upping their game. So I think that one is really critical. And most firms would shy away from that. But I think it's, it's so incredibly important. I also tell them when they get those calls that they have to come and talk to me before they make a decision and that I will help them talk through 
that decision. And if there is a better place for them to realize their potential than where they currently are, I help them get there. And the case with the woman from IT is just one of those examples. Yeah, I, I want to just dive into that for one second, because that, that was the one thing I did want to come back to is that I do think that if you're going to manage a, the high potentials, I think you have to recognize that turnover is likely in your team. And it's probably a good thing that there's going to be times when the, the, the potential of the person outstrips the ability of the organization to give them what they need. That story I told the writer, that's really what happened with him. We just, we just weren't able to give him the level of, of growth he needed. And so when he moved on, I was like, I'm, pr- I'm, pr- I'm happy for you. I'm proud of you. I'm excited to see what you do next because you know, you've done what you can do here. Now go do bigger, better things elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But I, I would also argue that's kind of a rare, it's a bit of a rare mindset for, for leaders of firms. I, my sense is, I, I, I don't know for sure, but I would, my, my sense is that there's, there's fewer folks that think like that than there probably should be. I agree. And the people who think like that are managing high performance teams and people are fighting to get on those teams, mm-hmm. which makes that identifying and recruiting hypos even easier for a leader. Yeah. And I saw both approaches at Anderson, but I saw leaders help hypos get out of Anderson and go elsewhere to the detriment of their team in the short term, but to their benefit in the long term. Mm-hmm. And confident, caring leaders do that type of stuff. And it's hard. Because you build relationships with these people and you like having them on your team and you don't want them to, to go. Well, yeah. And, and I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Turnover is hard to manage, right? When you build a team that you're excited about and you think this is a great team and then you lose someone on that team, then you just recognize that you're, the team just degraded a little bit in, in, in the short term and you're going to have to rebuild it. But usually you can build it even stronger you know, if, you, if you're doing this well. At least that's the attitude I've tried to take to it, whether or not, you know, we could always deliver on that. I don't know, but I, but I do know that if, if I can take that attitude, that if we lose a key person because they find a better opportunity, well, then we'll, we'll look at the opportunity to replace them with someone, you know, even stronger and build the team up. Mm-hmm. And that's a healthy, healthy way of looking at it. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. So the, the next thing that I do, and this makes people a little uncomfortable as, as well, is that I demand that they act and perform at a level above their current title. So, you know, if I have a marketing coordinator, I expect them to start thinking and acting like a marketing manager. And if I have a manager, I expect that person to act and think like a director. And if I have a director, start thinking like a VP or a CMO. And when you tell people to do that, it's so fun to watch how they begin to grow, how their thinking changes, and how their confidence to interact with others really is amplified. And it 
it becomes a flywheel, if you will. But just by saying, I expect you to act at this level, they need to understand what the next level clearly is and what it takes to get there. And as a leader, I am always demonstrating to them what it looks like to be, you know, a CMO or whatever level I'm at. But you have to set the expectation of performing at that level. Well, it's a really interesting idea and I like it a lot. And what I like a lot so much about it is that that old notion that you, know, you promote people to the point of incompetence, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a great way to combat that is just, you know, ask people to behave a level up so that you have a sense of whether or not they can handle whatever the next level is before they go to that level. You know, you've, and you've given them permission to behave that way, which is also probably pretty critical. That's a great point, Jason. That's what it takes is Mm -hmm. the permission to act that level, particularly in professional services firms that are very hierarchical. Not all of them are that way, but most of them are that you set an expectation that it's okay to challenge me in a meeting or to act differently than maybe others would expect you to act. And again, it goes back to what we said earlier. When you act a little bit different than expectations, you begin to stand out. That's risky, but it also draws attention to you for other opportunities. So you have to be smart about how you do it, but it has follow-on effects as well. In order to do that, and I think this is another incredibly important attribute is you have to move out of your comfort zone. You have to step out of it on your own or you better be expect to be pushed out of it. And I have pushed people out of their comfort zones many times. And a prerequisite for pushing them out of their comfort zone is being clear on what their comfort zones is or are. So you have to know as a leader, where have these people put up walls around themselves and stayed safe? And where is there a good place to, and a safe place to push them out of that comfort zone? And when they do that, it becomes a teachable moment and it can have huge effects on their performance. Yeah. I I had a note in here in terms of managing was to create opportunities for incremental value. That would be, I'm mirroring that to what you just said, is is that that, that's one of the things that came to mind for me is, you know, you you have to sort of create opportunities for them to, to, to push outside those comfort zones if you're going to manage them well, because they're certainly, they're wanting it and they're asking for it. So it's your job to create it. The only other thing that came to mind for me was rewards. You know, I don't know exactly what we want to talk about there necessarily. I mean, conceptually, I just, I made a note to myself that said, well, you know, I think a critical piece of a culture for a firm that wants to have high performance teams and high potential talent would be to try to reward behaviors and outcomes over longevity, right? So reward the behavior you want to get, that you want to see, and the outcomes you're looking for over top of, you know, so-and-so is here for their, their 20th, 30th year or whatever. Not that that's a bad thing. Not, not that rewarding that's a bad thing, but saying I would, I would want to prioritize the former over the latter whenever I could. Yes. And um, most hypos, I think, are intrinsically motivated. Sure, yes. the promotions and everything are, are important, but there's something intrinsic that satisfies them and, and drives them. And oftentimes, given in in marketing in particular or some of the functional areas, the hypos cannot stay in a firm forever 
because their rate of rise is faster than the organization can often absorb unless the firm is growing at an exponential rate or opportunities are somehow serendipitously presenting themselves. Yeah. You know, changes in, in leadership roles and in shuffling like that. I do want to comment on the rewards thing. I I agree with you that everything we've described about this high potential employee is an intrinsic motivation. So I would not incline to say that rewards are motivators, but I will say that if there's reward misalignment, hypos are going to exit fast. So if they recognize that this the, the way that they're intrinsically wired to do the things that we've talked about are not you know reflected in the rewards model, meaning that they're 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 not seeing recognition for that, mm-hmm. then they're going to exit before they even emerge. That's all I meant by that because I agree with you. The reward is sort of the after the fact. They did exactly what you're hoping because of the intrinsic motivation, and then once it's there, they do expect to say, "Well, wait a minute, you should reward." the outcome I created here. And and if that's not there, then they're going to see that as a telltale sign that they're in the wrong place. That's a great point. The other thing that I do related to that, Jason, is because sometimes, you know, marketing in particular, but organizations as a whole, can you can have your your hands tied in terms of how much you can really do from a financial rewards perspective. Yep. But I tell my teams that my expectation for you is that you're prepared to be fired at any moment. And like the recruiter should be calling you, I get really odd stares in that respect. But I tell them that business life is business life. And the deal is I'm going to trade you money and 401k and healthcare, and we are going to learn a lot. You know, we're going to travel to some phenomenal places, and you know, you're going to manage great projects and work with smart people. And you need to absorb and enjoy as much of that as you possibly can, because if things turn south or the firm's acquired, or there's some other issue, you could be out of the firm that quickly. But let's work together and do what we can to grow one another now. And when I say that, and it seldom happens, it, 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 it so seldom does happen, but high performers appreciate that honesty of saying, oh, okay, I get it. That's the deal. That's a trade-off. You pay me this, I give you that. And they respond to that. And again, it fuels their learning and their risk taking so that they're always performing at the top of their game. Yeah. It's funny because the way you approach the, the, the statement, I, I thought it felt combative to me. So, so you need to prepare to let go. Like, like this is a high, uh, high drive culture, you know, kind of like the old, wasn't it Jack Welch who said, you know, you let go of the, the bottom 10% of your performers every single year, regardless of how good they are. And I always thought that that's kind of a cutthroat culture that I would not want to be a part of. But I do like, I love the sentiment of it, which is, which is just implying like, Hey, you know, it it just reinforces the things that you said are hypos, right? You know, insatiable curiosity, tenacious problem solving, risk-taking, all those things. If you're doing those things, if that were to happen, you're going to be fine. You're going to be, you know, a great resource for the next place you go, wherever that is. 
And so I, I love it. I love the, I love the message. I personally would probably couch it a different way, but that's just you and me, right? <laughs> so, but, that's uh, what makes us different. And like so, I always say, I always say my wife is working on my communication style. <laughs> well, it's funny. I'll use it. This is a sidebar, but as you know, I, I live in Columbus and we have a fairly high profile football team here at Ohio state and a pretty high profile coach. And I, I'm not a huge follower of sports in general, but I remember when he came aboard that he had this quote and I just, I always was struck by the quote. And, and when I heard it, I recognized it in the way his teams have always behaved. This is Urban Meyer. And his quote was, he's like, I don't know. I don't remember exactly how exactly he said it, but he's like, the one thing I know about this game is if you always play it like your hair is on fire, you will be successful. Mm. And it was just this sort of message to the world that I expect you to be functioning at an incredible level of performance and tenacity all the time. And it just sort of relates to some of the things I hear you saying. It's like, you know, I expect this to be a high performance team. and I'm going to set that expectation in a way that is going to sound a little crazy. And I've always loved that quote, you know, just in the sense of just like, it just, it just sort of set the tone for the culture that he expected out of his teams. And of course they've he's done very well everywhere they've gone. I mean, as a coaching team. And so that's what I love about the things you're saying is that it's just sort of establishing the, the, the framework of what a high performance team looks like. And hence, this is the deal. I'm going to say we wrap. I, I feel like we've really kind of kicked the tires on this topic on so many dimensions from hiring great talent to, to identifying it when you may not necessarily know it's there and then to how, how to manage it uh, going forward. So I love this discussion. Thanks for doing it with me. My pleasure. Now go find a hypo. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.